question for you. So, you know, I, I keep reading about, you know, the office to residential conversion. And it's funny that the very few that we've looked at here at Design that developers have brought to us, to me, has nothing to do with affordable housing. No. The, one, the ones that I looked at are in incredibly beautiful neighborhoods in Midtown Manhattan or, you know, Upper East Side. Um, where there were some old office buildings, and they want to convert them to, you know, very expensive, beautiful loft buildings, you know, or loft type. I feel attacked. No, no, no. No, because I'm, I'm, we're doing that. <laughs> we're well, one well, of those and, people, and, and, yes. And, and, and I can't, I'm not blaming the developer. Right. I'm all for it. If you have a vacant office building that's going to sit there and be an eyesore and people can live in it, we, we should, every... Every square footage of building should be utilized for a purpose in my mind. That's sure. that's that's what we want to promote here. And in there's New York. 90 million square feet of unoccupied right. offices in New, in New York City today. 90 million square feet. Correct. That's like so, hun hundreds and hundreds of football fields of unoccupied office uh, space right now. And 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 we all see it because every time I go visit a client, I walk in the lobby and there's a big sign that says space available, right? <laughs> yes. And then I leave there and I walk around the corner and I see Commercial space on the first floor, available everywhere. Retail you know, all over the city. It's, it's all over the place. So, you know, one of the things that when I look at this and I read about it, it seems like there's this idea that these office buildings are going to get converted to affordable housing. Do you see incentives in there that will promote that? No, for without 421A, again, there's there's no tax abatement to create affordable housing. So there's no way you can convert an empty hotel or an empty office building into affordable housing. And it, make it work. so besides a 421A program, there's no other programs that would incentivize. That's right? correct. There's no other program See, that, that incentivizes. To, to me, that that so so again, where where as a developer, as an entrepreneur, how how do you how do you do that where you can help give back affordable housing if there's no incentives, if you got to foot the whole bill. How, how does that work? It so how, office buildings are a particular challenge, right? Many of them, most of them, are built on a density that is illegal for, for, for residential housing. Correct. Because the maximum residential density in New York City is a 10 FAR of 12 with affordable housing. Right. And the maximum commercial density is 15 right. and can be even higher, Correct. right? And so if you were to take a, an office building which, and then try to convert it to residential, you're pr typically the dimensions are not correct. Correct. Right? Because office you don't buildings have enough are built. Light in there. That's right. Office buildings are built deeper. Right. And when we build residential buildings, they're typically not more than 70 to 75 feet wide. Right. So you have two 30-foot deep apartments, apartments and a corridor all the way between them. Right. But office buildings are often built 100 feet deep. There's a lot of 100 by 100 office buildings in New York City. And they're too deep. They don't have the right elevators, right? And right. they don't have the right lobby. And, and, if, and, and they're oversized, right? right? So you'd end up having to shave off large well, sections of the building you know, and, and to make had, them work. And which means you're not saving any money, right? So right. it's going to cost you the same amount to to renovate an office building into roughly the same amount, renovate an office building into residential as it would to build it from the ground up. Correct. And so it, the same economics are at place. If you want affordable housing in these office buildings, then you, you, you need to change the law right. and, and make an incentive to do it. So, Lou, back in the day, you know, when I first started, there was a section in the multiple dwelling law that was a really incredible piece. And our office became... I wouldn't say experts, but we were 
a really good, good, solid firm that firms came to us and said, look, I got a commercial building. There was Article 7B. We were able to take and do a lo- what they called the loft conversion, but really in reality was a commercial building to an apartment. And there, those laws were written a long time ago. And when this whole concept of converting offices to residential, the first thing that hit my mind was I read those sections of the multiple dwelling law over and over and how they gave us concessions, right? That you you could use a lot line window as long as it had a sprinkler. You could we could use a stair again. If you if you put concrete, you know, if you put a Q deck over this, you can get an extra rating. If you rated the side walls, they gave you options to promote it. So now you're looking at this huge office building, and I and I once asked the developer this recently. I said, so we have a big square tower that goes straight up for 30 floors. How are we going to get light in there without drilling a core right down the middle to make to make an inner court? Right. And when you start to think of it that way, then you say to yourself, well, how are they going to demo it? they got to demo it down the building and out. The cost is astronomical. Correct. It's and then once you open it up, when was it built? How much asbestos is in it? How much lead is in it? What's here? What's there? You know, it it sounds like this great concept of reusing the, the frame. But in reality, when you go to apply the 2022 code, right. it's going to cost you three times as much. We, we, we're looking at a property right now, which we're, you know, looking to acquire an, an empty office building. A business that went out of business had, you know, an owner-occupied office building that closed their business, and, you know, we think we're saving roughly fifty dollars a foot between building ground up. We started over and built from the ground up, as opposed to renovating the building. That's yeah, there. But, but you're assuming that without any hidden surprises. Correct. Once, exactly right. Once you open it That's up, correct. and then now all of a sudden one little thing goes wrong, and and that fifty dollars a square foot gets you know cut down to forty dollars a square foot. And it, it, but you see, it's it, it it's there's from a developer perspective, it's almost worth it because when we're building ground up, right, our greatest risks are in the soil. Correct. Right. When when we're in the soil, we may move the building next door. When we built one eleven barrack, we had a building built in eighteen seventy on one side. You had we the had tunnel. The New York City subway on the other side. And we a sign. The hydro, hydro, the the Holland Tunnel on a third side. We literally had to put the facade of the building up. From 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. No, it, but it was incredible, incredible. A lot project. of work, right? So, and a lot, and we went down 100 feet to bedrock to to put that building. You know, literally drove 60 caissons into bedrock to hold the building up, and 30 to hold the building down in the case of an earthquake or hurricane. <laughs> and so, 50 percent of it was to was so, to keep it from falling falling over, falling over, <laughs> right? So, and we're 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 in the ground. So, when we're doing renovations, we're not in the ground. Right. And when when you're out of the ground, it's it's manpower, material, and money, right? right. You can you're in control of your your destiny when you're out of the ground. With a renovation project, every time you open a wall, you can find something different. Right. We did a renovation in Jersey City. The developer hadn't had had drop ceilings in the corridor. You remove the drop ceiling. There's no fireproofing between the corridor and the and the apartment. Literally, every time you look someplace, you, you, you find you, you never problem. know what you're going to find, and your costs can 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 go through the roof that way. And that's the situation when you're doing renovation. So while you don't have the risk of being in the ground, you have the risk of unknowns, and 
you know, maybe it balances out in the end. We hope so. This is our first office to, to, to resi conversion. And it's an experiment. It's it's an only a seventy thousand square foot building. That's well, a nice size building. Not bad for a start, right? But right. it's really this exercise to get our cruise train, our feet wet, our mindset, getting a team together to to be able to do this well, because there's more coming. Thirty years ago, Article Seven B of office to residential conversion or commercial to residential yeah. buildings. Um, so I know that's a hot topic. You and I have talked about it. Um, so what's your forecast? What do you think? I mean, I, I ask you because we've had developers in, we've had yeah. insurance people in, we had Mike Minotti in uh, on one of the podcasts to talk about site safety, about doing this conversion. We spoke to uh, Stephen from Lapolis to for him to give us his take about what it takes to to gut an office building and make apartments. So, you know, I, I'd like to get your side of, you know, what do you think the biggest challenges, you know, in the code side that you think are going to influence what these buildings going to look like? Yeah, I think, you know, the hardest part is, you know, obviously, and there's people who are more experienced than me, is, you know, you can throw a lot of money at an office to residential conversion, but it still has to comply with code. Of course. You know, hands down, it has to comply with code and zoning. And I think the challenge in office buildings, which is I think what a lot of people are talking about, is the floor plates. Right. The floor plates are huge. And they're not, you know, offices don't have natural light and air requirements. Residential clearly does. So, you know, you can't, there's, you know, 30-foot room depth requirements. So if an office, you know, yeah, 100 plate, by 100 buildings. Right. You know, if an office floor plate is, you know, even bigger than 100 by 100 right. in certainly many cases, you know, okay. You know, so. You how do def- we make the core? How do we make the core? And sometimes it's like, wow, this core is, you know, huge because we can only get legal light and air, you know, to the perimeter for so much. And then, okay, well, can we fill the core with amenity spaces? Right. And, but on every floor, you know, is there enough that we can provide that's going to be, you know, attractive for people who want to live there and I mean, make right it now make sense? We, we've started one. We have, well, I mean, we've done many over the yeah. years. We've done a lot. We've done a lot when they weren't, you know, on the cover of every magazine <laughs> or uh, every, you know, uh, LinkedIn article. Um, I've done many, many in my career uh, here in Williamsburg, and Sergio had done many in Manhattan yeah. that we would call a loft conversion. And that's, so it's not a loft conversion, but it yeah. falls under the same section of the multiple dwelling law. And, and one of the feedbacks that I keep getting on it is that the law, you know, when Richard Lobel was in, he talked about that the multiple dwelling law needs to be updated because it it needs to be revised around this current climate and these current yeah. ideas and this this progression of where New York City is at today versus where it was in the 1960s when they wrote that section. And just to reiterate uh, from the past podcast is the multiple dwelling law is a state law. It's not exactly. a city law. So it's not the city can't just arbitrarily decide, you know, to, to put something in front of city council and try to change a law. This has to go through the state. So it's going to take time. Uh, but so far, you've been doing some research on this project that we have in, in Midtown. Yep. Um, so tell me what, you know, give us some questions that they're asking <laughs> us, like right off the bat that, that you're like, oh, well, you know, that's, that's interesting. That that that's a, that's you know that's a question I didn't really think about. So you know we're in our first one. You know the 
they, they, they closed on the building, and now they're starting their design process. Yeah, I mean, I think for most people with older buildings in New York City is, what code do I use? Right. Um, you know, zoning is zoning is zoning. Um, but in New York City, we don't have an existing buildings code. Correct. Uh, which, you know, it's does exist in many other jurisdictions, but not here, not yet. Not yet. It's on its <laughs> not way. Not yet. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> um, is what code do I use? Right. And the answer is you always have to start in the current code, which for us now is the 2022 Construction Codes of New York City. It went into effect back in November. Shout, um, shout out to Lauren. Uh, <laughs> a huge building. And they know they're going to basically gut the whole building. They're going to leave the stair. Yeah. They're going to take everything else out of it. They're going to leave the elevators. Uh, they're going to hope that the elevators can comply with <laughs> some sort of code that would allow them. If not, they're going to probably take those out too. Um, so now we're, we're basically left with maybe a facade, maybe, uh, because when we want to do light now, we may have to cut the building back. right? Yeah. So, so let's use that scenario. We have a facade, we have a core, and there's nothing else in the whole building. Um, does that allow us to stay in the 2022 code or or we have the option to go to the prior codes? We have the option to go to the prior codes. Um, and what's interesting within the list of 20 ex exceptions, which always have to comply with 2022, even within those things, there's specific items for prior code building. So take your elevators as an example. Elevators always have to follow the current code. Correct. But within there is provisions for prior code buildings. So like in this example, you mentioned like, oh, if, if they keep the elevators. If you keep the elevator shaft, there are specific um, allowances that are more generous for a prior code building with the existing elevator shaft enclosure. Right. So, so, but so there's how, a lot of they, things to look at. Right. So so perfect example is, you know, I keep hearing about the new the new size of the elevators for yep. residential because of the stretchers. And so so. You know, th those are going to be the challenges, you know, yeah. where, where again, you, you made a valid point at the very beginning. Well, it says here I can use it. <laughs> and then Lauren, because you have all this great experience and you do this day to day, Lauren brings the added value to the client and says, yeah, that is correct. But there is this provision that at least one elevator needs to be this size so that he can put a stretcher in it. So, so that's where this whole office to residential conversion gets very sticky because you, one section says one thing, another section says something else, and now you're on the balancing act of, well, you know, do I fight this that says that? But I know that the fire department and EMS needs that, so this is going to govern over that. So a lot of those choices, I think, is what we're going to be learning. Yes. <laughs> over the next uh, the next several years, uh, Lou Madigan said it best: uh, If you're going to throw yourself into the office to residential market, uh, the only way to do it is to dive in. Yeah. 